I want to begin a new series today and we're going to pray in just a moment, but I'm excited to bring this series and essentially we're talking and you'll see a slide come up in just a moment behind me around the notion of come to worship. As we approach Christmas season, what I really want to do essentially over the next four weeks, including this week, is to take time out to get back to just focusing on Christmas, uh, focusing on what Jesus or who Jesus is, to focus on the importance of his birth, uh, to focus on everything that came with Jesus. In fact, the idea for this series comes out of Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel and Matthew chapter 2 verses 2. It says here, it says, when the wise men came before King Herod in verse 2, verse 1 says that Jesus was born. Verse 2 says, when the wise men came before Herod, they asked, or the scripture says, and the scripture says, they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose and we have come, I want you to say this with me, we have come to worship him. Why are we here this morning? We have come to worship him. That's good. We're off to a good start this morning. I I love what this implies essentially about the wise men and we're going to move on in just a moment. But this actually helps us to transition our thought that we can easily get into, surely not Presence or Surf City Church, whichever one you will lean to or align with at the moment. But for a lot of people, I think we've mistaken that Jesus actually came for us. And he, everything he does right now is about us when we were actually created to worship and honor him. I say that to say this, it's important that we remember, and I've written these words, tragically it seems like in this part of the world, Christianity has really been reduced to some kind of formula. It's actually that we believe God exists for us, and if we do just the right thing, if we pray in just the right way, if we act just the right way, then God's got to do whatever we want him to do, right? You know, that's wrong. That's not the way it should be. It's almost as though we've formulated God, and I'm preaching to myself all morning this morning. Let's just qualify that right from the get-go, amen? It's almost as though we've created this this genie-in-the-bottle analogy with God that when the time's right and when the circumstances is needed and when I have the place and it's fitting for God to then come into my world, usually when I need help or finances or breakthrough or deliverance or healing or or, or help with my kids or or, or struggles at work or tensions in relationship, then we rub this genie bottle and we say the right thing or say the right prayer and we believe at that time God's going to come up and just answer our needs. One writer wrote this, he said, it's almost as though we've reduced God to somewhat of a cosmic Coke machine. You hear me? Where you put your coin and where you push the button, you say a prayer, where you do your devotion, where you make sure that you post on a regular morning or as an exercise a devotion that you've just done next to your favorite coffee shop cup so that everyone can see how spiritual you are. You do something nice for someone, you don't exhibit road rage for this particular day, you put a pumper sticker on your car of Present City Church or Presence Church or whatever church you go to. And then we expect that God's going to show up because he exists to make our life better. The reality is that's not why God exists. He does not exist for us. We exist for him. He says in Genesis that we were created in his image and his likeness. 
if I were to articulate clearly, my heart is I believe we were created to glorify him, to worship him, to make him known and to honor him in everything that we do. Absolutely, there are times and seasons where I guess a bit of self comes in because we are flesh and blood. But I really believe the importance of this series as we go into the next four weeks is to steer our hearts back to getting to a place of just desiring intimacy with him. Just getting back to a place where we want to focus on him. In fact, over the next three weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to talk about something in just a moment. But next week, we're going to talk about what it is to bring our gifts to God. Remember the wise men came, they didn't come to get just the gift from Jesus, they came bringing gifts to God. Uh, uh, The following week we're going to talk about what it is to pour our hearts out to God. And the week after that we're going to talk about what it is to kneel before Him. But today I want to speak about a concept as I looked around this morning and judged everyone in this room. I'm just kidding. I analyzed. But I want to talk around the principle and for the title of this morning of Lift Your Hands. Lift your hands. Father, I just pray this morning that as we press into your word, I thank you for all that we've experienced. I thank you for the amazing worship. I thank you for the amazing community. Lord, I thank you for this building in the heart of Surfers Paradise, only 500 meters from the beach. Lord, most of all, we thank you for what December represents. Not so much presents and not so much food, but the fact that you gave and sent your son into this world to pay the price for something that we could never pay that we would walk back in right relationship with you father i thank you that this month is going to ignite it's going to be significant it's going to unify our hearts as a community here in surface paradise father i just pray this morning every word that i say lord jesus would hit its achieved target that you've already predestined lord i thank you for authority over everything demonic and i say right now in this room you must leave Father, I just thank you that we have dominion and authority and power in the heavenly places. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Uh, to begin this, this, this talk this morning around lift your hands, uh, it's, it's interesting. And uh, I'm going to say thank you, Rhonda, because otherwise I'll like lie down and have a soak in any minute. Can we put our hands together for Rhonda? I asked her to stay up here. Rhonda does a brilliant job. In fact, I just love what's happening with our worship team. It was, it was very cool. I know many people were busy, but on Thursday night, just to let you into our world, we had a gathering at uh, the Ross's house. They're away on the sunny coast now, and I know people had uh, other things happening, but there was uh, half the worship team there, I guess, and we had pizza, which always is a good way to start a meeting, amen? And then we had praise, and, uh, and just with the acoustic guitars and everyone just singing, it was just, uh, I, I just felt like something broke for the new season. And uh, so I'm so excited about what is to come and the area of worship in our lives. Uh, speaking of worship, lifting our hands. Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember, although I grew up in church, my parents were pastors, but I always kind of was one of those people that thought, what do new people think when they walk into the auditorium? Uh, like, w- like, like, what do they sense? If we're being honest, it's kind of like a little bit strange when you walk in for the first time and everyone's just standing there doing this or they're doing these ones. Or they're doing these ones, or if you get to the front row where Claire and Fella, they're usually doing these ones as well, or whatever the case is going on. Maybe you walked in for the first time today and you're like, what are these people doing? 
like lifting your hands in worship can actually be a weird notion. It can be unfamiliar. It can be a foreign concept. However, I want to speak this morning and just give some examples of where it's actually very biblical. And through the act of lifting your hands exemplifies or signifies a few different things when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's funny, I heard one preacher say this, the act of lifting your hands and looking on or being the person looking on to someone lifting their hands is almost like watching someone kiss their partner. Bear with me, I know we're in church, but it's, it's like you know that it's okay and it's normal and it's human nature, but you kind of feel weird watching it. Like, you know what it's like when you've got to go in the bathroom and everyone's worshipping, you like just, you look down at the ground because they've got their hands up and you feel like you shouldn't interrupt that moment. Lifting your hands can be an awkward thing, but it is very biblical. It signifies and identifies so many things and hence the reason I feel it's important to talk about it this morning. It's very much part of the Christmas message of the wise man or the gentleman approaching, coming to worship God. I think as well, even as I just identified the new season of worship and transition and the things that are happening in the church, the heart of the presence is not worrying about who's around us, but having him at the front and the center of everything that we do. On a more serious note, I want to talk from one scripture, and I have a couple of scriptures I really just want to unpack for you this morning and give examples. And hopefully you can go away and do some study and research on what it is to lift your hands for yourself. And I want to say this, and I want to say I'm not saying this to offend someone, so hear me out before you start to get offended. I believe God has called Pastor Chrissy and our team and our community to lead a youthful church. When I say God has called us to raise and lead a youthful church, we have a youthful God. Like God's older than you all. He's older than me. I'm feeling old. Believe me, I was awake till midnight and I got up at 4.30 this morning. I'm feeling old. But even as I got up this morning, I thought I'm not going to go in and feel like I'm old. I'm going to go in because I have a youthful God. And youthful isn't depicted by your age or, or, or your disease or your ailments or your testimony or your history. Youthfulness is depicted by your heart and your reverence. And I believe in intimacy and overflow with the presence of God. Because if you understand that a youthful God has filled you and has baptized you and has clothed you and is empowering you and walking with you, if you walk in intimacy with Him, aware of Him, the byproduct will be, it doesn't matter if you're 106 or 66, you're still going to worship God. You're still going to have life. Some of the most youthful people in this room I know are some of the most senior. In Psalm 63 verses 1 to 4 to get into Scripture, The scripture says this, and David is crying out. He says, you, God, are my God. He says, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. And behold, your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips shall glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And hear this. He says, and in your name, I will lift my hands. It's an interesting concept, and I think it's probably something that a lot of people can relate to in this room this morning. I know I can relate to it at different points in my life, especially in the last few years. In the first part of the psalm, David is crying out to God. It's actually, as I alluded to, a reflection, if we were to put it into context, coming into Christmas... And even in this discussion with one of my team this week, we were talking about how we really are an international church. 
like we're a church in surface paradise, but probably a good two, maybe a good portion of our church is international. So when we come into Christmas and we come into a time of celebration, being that we're international, our families are usually scattered in different parts of the world. Uh, Christmas also identifies a time where we come into celebration and often it also identifies a time where we are now celebrating with the loss of a family member or past people that have passed away which then can create a tension and once we've had that tension at once or twice it actually then starts to repeat itself as we approach Christmas, Easter and birthdays. It's interesting that David writes us the first part of this, this psalm, this cry from him. He says, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. He says, my whole body longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David talking about water and the dryness and the parchment isn't necessarily talking about figuratively of, of water, but he's talking about this place that he's in with his heart. He, he feels like he's separated. He feels like he's isolated, alone and abandoned. But then I love what David starts to transition his cries to. He says, I have seen you in your sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. Something I've learned that when you've experienced the presence of God, whether it by faith, whether it by experience, whether it's been a, a, a tangible miracle or something's happened in your life, it's like nothing ever sustains you because you've encountered the presence of God. You've encountered the reality of heaven for years. I chased after drugs and, and, and things that gave me a false high or a false sense of like, wow, nostalgia or, or, or whatever it is. And I realized when I encountered the pureness, or I should say when the pureness of God encountered me, that I'd actually just been chasing after the false of what the devil produces, which is death and destruction. But when you encounter the love and the freedom and the hope and the grace and the tangibleness of his presence that comes from just an encounter with God, any moment outside of walking in intimacy with God actually seems like you're in a dry and parched land lacking water. Because you know the truth is that the substance that we need as human beings isn't necessarily just food and water. That gives life, but life abundantly comes from His presence. It comes from intimacy. It comes from closeness with Him. David goes on and he says this in the last part of verse 4. He says, excuse me, the beginning, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. It's funny, he says that he needs God. And then he starts to articulate about God's love. Your love is better than life. If I were to look through and look at what I think David is saying, thinking about this actual statement, he's actually saying, God, your love is eternal. Your love is everlasting. Your love never fails. I need to remind someone of that in this morning. If you are someone that maybe has just ceased to lift your hands and maybe you're approaching Christmas with the forethought that, hey, this is going to be a hard time finances aren't there my family's not there anymore I feel alone I'm isolated I've got this prognosis a diagnosis I'm now on this new medication I want to tell you that we have a a mighty God his love is eternal regardless of whatever your circumstances and I'm not denying that those are not real for people but we have an all-powerful God that can change and that can rectify your circumstances remember when David is writing this psalm he's actually writing it from a place of being in pain he's being in uh, I, I want to 
to say tortured almost because it's like he's separated, but he, in this psalm, in just a few sentences, acknowledges and makes a significant decision. He says, this is how I feel, and this is my reference point for how I feel because I know what it is to be in your presence, but this is how I feel. But God, even though I feel like this, I know this is my, 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 my foundational place. He says, over here, God, I'm choosing to start to focus on your love, knowing that it's eternal, knowing that it will transform me. And then he goes and says, this is what my physical act of worship is going to be. Regardless of where I'm at, I'm choosing to do this. And he says this, he says, I will lift my hands and I will worship you. You know, I hope I'm speaking to someone this morning. I think about this in reference to my own life, and I'm sure everyone in this room can probably relate in some way, shape or form. I shared last week how it was my birthday and in the Lord where I got saved in Monaco Street, this church, 2005, schoolies, November. What I remember about that experience, as I've already kind of built up here, was experiencing the presence of God. Pastor Mark Scaria was preaching, had no idea what he talked about. I was lost in the glory of God. And then Pastor Richard got up and for some reason he did the altar call that night, Sunday night. My cousin had invited me to church and lost, broken, suicidal. We've heard it all before a few times. But then as the altar call came and we hear it described often that, hey, there was a moment that I didn't even realize my hand went up. For me, I kind of realized my hand went up, but internally I couldn't believe I was doing it. It was like there was a drawing saying I needed to raise my hand and respond to Jesus, not just to the pastor, but I needed to follow through with whatever was going on in my heart, that this was the next step to respond. The Bible says if you call on my name, Jesus says, then you will be saved. And for me, the next stage of that saving or that, that grace moment was actually just putting my hand up. I found myself walking down the aisle to the front. I remember Pastor Richard called Bennett Kane and he stood behind me. God puts the right people in the right place for the right times, amen? And as he came and as Pastor Richard started to do this, this the, the prayer, the sinner's prayer, I, I remember standing there and I was shaking profoundly, which kind of just never leaves when I encounter the presence on a tangible way. And I'm standing there shaking, tears are streaming down my face. I distorted my family. I'd been deported from another country, I'm addicted to drugs. Even that day, I was struggling with things that were going on in my life, had plans for suicide. But what I knew was in this moment, I was experiencing a freedom and a grace and a liberty. And, and I know that I know that I know even as I ponder on this I still have the sensation I, I stood at the altar and I just lifted up my hands see there's something that happens when you encounter and you understand that the grace of God that surpasses all understanding is actually available and he wants to meet with you if you would physically act and respond maybe it's just by raising one hand maybe it's by raising two maybe it's by hearing a message and just responding to that I want to tell you the natural response to the presence and the grace of God is is some sort of physical response. When we raise our hands to God, it's a response and a sign of surrender. David was in a negative place. He understood that God was greater. He chose to bypass his feelings and his emotions, although those are important. He bypassed them for the moment because what he knew by faith was that God was so much bigger. And that simply by raising his hands was a physical act of surrender saying, you know what, I'm physically making a difference to choose to go in another way. Paul, who was Timothy's mentor, Timothy was a young pastor, probably similar to myself, 
Paul gave him this instruction. In fact, the title of the NIV translation, as I think about my Bible I was reading this morning, is Instructions on Worship. And he says this, there's a lot that he says in there, but essentially these words are, Therefore I want men everywhere, in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, to lift your hands. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting holy hands without anger or disputing. Another translation says, without wrath or doubting, without wrath or doubting. This isn't talking about, hey, guys, when you raise your hands, don't be angry at the person next to you or don't be angry at the community or your wife because she's made you come to church. No, he's saying when you lift your hands and you focus on Jesus, don't be in in, in, in a place of annoyance because you're getting told that you have to do this. Don't doubt that God is real, that he is doing something. Do it by a faith statement and saying, hey, I just trust God. I want to take this a little bit further with me in Bear with me for a moment, wives and daughters. I'm going to be a little bit direct right now, but I believe based on what I've experienced in church, even in my own life, not necessarily in my family, because I guess I've had really good examples. We can translate this and we can break this down, but if we were to keep it very simple this morning, Paul is actually telling Timothy to speak to the men of the church. He's saying, men, raise your hands. Get your hands up in the place. I know there is a dialect in the day and the age and the culture where, where, and even in the different sects of the church. I know women sit on one side, men sit on one side. I've experienced amazing worship services. But let's come back to the point of what he's saying and what it means to us today. He's saying, men, raise your hands. When you pray and when you worship, you should be the ones that lead by example. You should be the ones that actually set the example for your family. You know, as I stand here now, after the journey of the testimony you've just heard, I realize the importance of watching a father raise his hands. And I want to tell you, if you're a dad in this room and you want your kids to come and worship and raise their hands, if you want them to say grace around the dinner table, if you want them to honor other people, then they need an example to lead them. It's almost become accepted to just let them have free will and choose what they want to do. In fact, I've experienced some families, even in this room where I thought, wow, those kids are like pretty disciplined. But then when I look at it, it actually is a biblical principle that we would lead by example. It's an example that if we train a child in the ways of the Lord, then he will not depart from them is what the scripture says. If you want your children to seek after God, you need to be the one seeking after God yourself. And I would just say to the man of Presence Church, don't let your wife out-worship you. Yeah, Yeah, I get told off usually on a Sunday. I'm not even kidding you. Usually once a month. Chrissy says, babe... It's like you and Trev or you and Naomi or you and Lee, you guys were like having a good old worship time. But from the back, the rest of the church, they were like trying to figure out where we were going. I'm like, you know, a part of me is like, yeah, I was washing my hands. I was having a great old time. But I understand what she's saying and I'm not denoting that. But on a serious note, as men, Paul is encouraging us that we need to be the ones that set the example. When I come home on this thought of second timothy when you pray and worship raise your hands what does it look like to god why would paul say this about god and we can only 
kind of guesstimate or assume. But what I've experienced now as a dad, even in the last week, in fact, almost every day when I come home, when I get home after my wife from church today, this will probably happen if my baby's not in bed. I usually get to the garage door and the house we're in, they can't hear my car, but they'll hear me at the door. In fact, now I'm actually deliberate to make noise. And what will happen is Hunter's the fastest in my family. He's actually fastest in the school, which is awesome. That's my boy. He gets that from his mum all day long. <laughs> and what will happen is the door will open and Hunter will be down the end. He'll be like, Dad's home, Dad's home. He has to be, he's loud. He's, he gets that from his dad, actually his granddad. And he'll come in and he'll run down the hallway and he'll come in and Hunter will give me a big cuddle, turn around and walk off. Usually he'll check for money or some sort of goods of some description that also comes from his mum. Uh, but then Macy comes down, she gives me a big cuddle and she's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And she like sits on my foot and then waits for me to like do these ones up the hallway, which I love to do. But of late, my little two-year-old, Honor, she's beautiful. She gets my looks all day long. She's amazing. Like she's just started to talk and she's at that like two-year-old cute phase. So, so what she does is even when I see her, when Chrissy pulls up outside during the week and drops something off or picks something up, she'll, she'll look and she'll go, mommy, my data, my data, my data. And then like now when I come home, she looks to Chrissy who's in the kitchen and I'm down the hallway and she looks to Chrissy and she goes, mommy, my daddy's home. And then she just runs with her hands up coming to me. And I'm telling you as a dad, one, it's cool to have a little boy, but when you have a girl, first of all, something changes within you. But then to have your little girl at two years old running down the hallway to you like this, I want to tell you that there's no dad, there's no God, there is only one God in this world that would not run to you with his hands just back waiting to pick you up. If you're in worship and you're thinking, should I or shouldn't I raise my hands? I want to tell you as a father and having God as the father, when he looks down on us and we have our hands raised, the Bible says, if James 4 verses 8, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. It's a promise that comes from God. So why else do we raise our hands? I believe God loves it, and it also can be an offering of praise. That literally, like, can resemble us giving an offering to God. By lifting up hands, we actually are giving an offering to God. David said this in Psalms 141, verses 1 and 2, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Again, not in a very good place. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you and like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Another version or translation says, may the lifting of my hands be like the evening offering. We don't have time to go into the difference between tithes and offerings and New Testament and the Mosaic covenant and now under the grace covenant and the context of giving. But I want to tell you today, the lifting of your hands is symbolic of an offering to God. Because it's physical, and it's actually a physical, obedient gesture. He says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you raise your hands in worship and prayer, then you're obeying what the Word of God says, which is the breathed Word of God for everyone that just wants to debate and dispute that it was a teaching that just simply came from Paul. David, again, in this Scripture is in a very low place, but I love that he's saying, regardless of how I feel, I'm choosing to set aside from my perspective, from my feeling, from my anguish, from my pain. And God, I'm choosing just to give you an offering in this moment. 
You know, I found the biggest breakthroughs. In fact, a friend called me the other day. He said, man, this is the scenario. This is what's going on. He said, I need you to pray with me and I need some advice. I'm like, well, you called me three seconds ago and I'm just sitting there on the couch and internally I'm like, Shanda Labamba, Boomba. I'm listening to the scenario. I'm listening to the circumstances. And essentially my advice was you need to give it some time and you need to thank God for his goodness and trust that in that time of praying and seeking him and essentially stepping outside of your natural response to focusing on what you've got, given responses, trust that God will bring unity and restoration to this particular scenario and example as human beings we want to take control but if we take control too many times outside of the context of intimacy with god it actually can eventuate and become pride said it many times recently i love the way that danny silk puts it the opposite to pride is humility a lifestyle of humility is a lifestyle of raising your hands regardless of what you feel you think your anguish, your anger, your financial situation, your bank accounts, the argument you had on the way to church. No, humility says, you know what, regardless of all this, I'm choosing to step into a place and raise my hands. The one definition of humility is being able to walk into the room and sense the anxiety that your presence brings to that room and then actually lower and calm yourself so that you can alter the effect of that room. But if you're walking in pride, you won't have an idea what effect you bring to the room. In fact, you don't care. You just turn up and do what you do and leave anyway. You know, you can actually do that when you walk into a relationship with Jesus. You can do that when you walk into your secret place. It can be all about us, but it's actually meant to be all about him. But in making it all about him, the byproduct of the presence of God transforms and changes your life. Sometimes we just need to listen. Amen. If we were to summarize just where we've been and in fact, got one more example for you this morning about lifting hands. We lift our hands because God loves it. We lift our hands because it's an offering of praise to God. We lift our hands because we're reaching out to Him. And we lift our hands to Him because as we lift our hands to Him, the Scripture says He draws near to us. My last thought sharing around lifting hands, and I'm actually going to invite the worship team to come with me and join me on the stage and the keys. We lift our hands to God because declaring or in a symbolic sign that we're declaring battle with the enemy and the attacks that come against us. Some of you right now, you're in a place where you're actually in a real battle. Let's be real for a minute. Like some people are struggling. You're in a real dark place. If things don't change, I just wrote this off my heart, that you actually feel like you don't know what you're going to do. I want to tell you today that by the lifting of your hands, you're saying, I declare a battle. And I declare that I'm empowering God to step in and intervene on my circumstances. That you need the all-powerful God to do battle and that you need him to do it for you and with you. By raising your hands, you're symbolically saying, God, I just trust that you're going to take care of things. You know, as a prelude into the scripture I'm about to read you from Exodus, I think as I'm just standing here in this moment, Holy Spirit, reminded of the young king who came to Elijah, one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. 
I believe it was the Assyrians that were coming in to attack and take him out. He was just a young king. And he had his eyes focused on all the problems. He had his eyes focused on the casualties and the loss and the loss of his kingdom and that he was going to lose the ranks and the inheritance of what he was doing and that God had put him in this place and all that. There's a scenario that was going on around. But to come to the point, what he did was he actually went to Elisha, who he knew was a man of God. And he said to Elijah, I'm, I'm fearful, I'm scared, I'm worried. And what Elisha did was said, close your eyes. And he prayed for him. And as he prayed for him, just a simple prayer, God, just just touch him, just bless him, show him who is for you and, and who's essentially against him. Long story short, when he opened his eyes, the Bible said he looks up into the mountains and he saw armies of the chariots of the angels of heaven. And he saw fire encompassing and he realized that greater are those who are for him than those who were against him. And I want to tell you today that where once upon a time a king used to have to go to a man of God, a prophet, a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, whatever the case may be. And yes, there are times in life where it's important to get advice and get the prophetic word and get uh, someone to pray with you and intercede with you. But there are also times where we can just symbolically just go to God and we can lift up our hands and say, God, I'm facing a battle. God, this thing is going on. God, I'm struggling with this. And what I'm choosing to do is not give it attention and not focus on it, but I'm going to raise my hands. And I want to tell you, friend, that by raising your hands to God actually opens up heaven's dimension over your life to come and intervene. It's an act of obedience. Physical obedience brings spiritual breakthrough. Physical obedience will bring a spiritual breakthrough in your life. Oh, you don't believe me? So for four and a half years, I spent in and out of recovery. 11 times, and I don't want to keep coming back to that, but honestly, that's the basis for everything I do in my life right now. What I learned in those lessons of the dark places. And for so many weeks, weekends, I would come into my secret place. Or actually, no, I wouldn't. And a prelude to that, I would just hang out with everyone else in the lounge. We'd watch movie night on Friday night, then we'd go to the beach and we'd surf. But in the last year when I came in, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm over it. My family don't believe in it. No one believes in it. Everyone thinks I should go to a another secular place to get help and God said to me in that moment he said Justin I'm glad because I actually never asked you to do it I flicked open my Bible honestly it was a flicking pick Matthew 6 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you without even getting to the righteousness part to seek first the kingdom of God as I looked at that I thought I just need to prioritize God first in everything so what I did and my physical obedience in that moment was everything I did from the moment I woke up in the morning in fact the first thing I did for that whole year was I made a deliberate point when I woke up in the morning that I would go into my secret place when it was movie night on Friday night I would go up in my room and pray do you know that this became such a thing that people would come up they would get prayed for they would get slain in the Holy Spirit people got healed transformation drug addict residents would get healed then they would go back and enjoy their movie night and I would just be up there just basking in the glory of God but can I tell you one year of physical obedience that actually spoke to my heart maybe not necessarily yours actually empowered me and enabled me to now stand on a platform that I'm standing on to have a healthy family to know what it is to raise my hand so that my kids would follow the example I want to tell you today if you're arguing with just a simple thing of should I raise my hands, shouldn't I raise my hands? There's all sorts of ways we do it. There's the carrying the TV. There's the carrying the widescreen TV. There's the Jesus is number one. 
We eventually graduate to washing the windows with the head shake and the, I just had a chili. So like, I'm single and I love Jesus, but I'm single. All the single ladies. To the, let's block the shot. As a youthful church, we're all going to be blocking the shot. There's so many different ways you can worship and whatever it looks like to you, I want to tell you symbolically out of an act of obedience. Come on, let's praise him. Now, here's what I want to do. I actually, I know I've asked the worship team. I want, if you're on the worship team, to come up and join me if you sing or you do whatever. We're going to do it differently this morning. Anyone, I heard Jim, I could hear you a mile away. I know you're here. Anyone that's on the worship team, quickly run up, join me on the stage. You guys can pull your mics forward. We're going to do this as a community. What I want us to do in this next few moments is we're going to sing a song. Willie and Nico, they're going to lead us with JJ. And what we're going to do is we're going to stand and I want to encourage the men in this place, you better be the first ones lifting your hands. And just as a sign, as a response, not to me, not to the worship team, but as a family, we're going to stand and we're going to raise our hands. And we're going to sing a song and we're going to let it be a declaration from our hearts that God, we're choosing as we go into this Christmas season, that we're going to be a community that out of physical obedience, we believe we're going to get a spiritual breakthrough. And this is not to say that we want something for us, but we want to give it all to you. Anyone else on the worship team, if you're here, you can join me. Just gather around the mics and, and, and put Jim back because he's like, he's loud and he'll override everyone. Would you join with me this morning? Would you stand? You know, I just see time and time in history and biblical accounts that don't all articulate that people just stood and raised their hands. One of my favorite stories, in fact, they're all my favorite Bartimaeus is on the side of the road and Jesus is walking and he's going from one I think it was the old town of Jericho to the new town for a religious festival we know he cried out son of David have mercy on me but I don't think it was just like a little decrepit dude dirty on the side of the road with his garment I think he was on the side of the road saying I'm blind and I can't see I'm going to do whatever I can to get God's attention son of David have mercy on me and that's just my thought that the other side of it all of the disciples that were in their craft they were collecting taxes they were doing what they were doing and when Jesus came and he said will you follow me they had to physically obey leaving the old behind and come and follow him I'm sure they didn't follow him down the road with their hands raised but I want to tell you physical obedience will bring a spiritual breakthrough in your life if you want to see 2020 to be a different year a more profound year a more breakthrough of a year I want to tell you that it begins this morning and this isn't just a good response to a Sunday morning service this isn't a try to be a conference session. This is a session where we say, God, this morning I'm choosing physical obedience, where I've started to slack off, where I've started to go wrong. God, today I want a day of breakthrough. Come on, let's raise our hands in this place. Let's worship together. Come on, Nico, lead us in. Every person, everyone on the stage, we're singing together.